My name's Pete, pastor here at Destiny, and uh, we're going to turn to the Bible just now. We love every week just digging into the Bible, because we, what we've discovered is that the Bible is relevant to our lives. Um, we've just been going through a mini-series, three-week series, looking at uh, parenting, marriage, and singleness. So today is the message I want to talk about, the subject, the really important subject of singleness, subject that probably affects large percentage of this crowd here. So uh, I pray this will be an encouragement and hopefully an inspiration to you. Let's pray and ask God to speak to us. God, thank you that you're with us just now. Thank you you're among us by your Holy Spirit. God, we pray that you would speak just now. Help me to share what you've placed in my heart. And I ask God that today will be an encouragement message, Lord. Each stage in life is important to you. Married people are important. Parents are important. And single people are important. And I pray, God, as we look at this subject of singleness, I pray, God, that you'd inspire our thoughts, that the Bible would inspire us and give us faith and strength. I pray, reach everyone here, Lord. I pray anyone today who doesn't yet know you today would find you. You'd reveal yourself to them. Help me to speak. Help us to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, according to uh, Telegraph uh, newspaper, um, Edinburgh is in the top 10, in fact, it's, it's top of the 10 singleton locations in the UK with Newcastle. Edinburgh and Newcastle are the top single locations in the UK. And what I mean by single locations is the location where most single people live. Uh, 41% of households in central Edinburgh are occupied by single people. Uh, that's 101,000 people living in central Edinburgh who are single. So if you're single in the church, you represent the large percentage of people in our city who are single. We're, we are in a single city. Now, you might say, um, or I think you might say, certainly it's on my mind when I'm speaking about this, is here's a guy who's been married 20 years speaking about singleness. Okay, so what's my qualification? Well, the reality is I've been leading a church for 20 years as well that's been predominantly full of single people in their 20s, in their 30s, in their 40s, and every age and stage. So my advice I can give isn't from necessarily my own experience, but certainly is with working closely and having deep empathy for people in every different situation in life. What you discover when you come to the Bible is the Bible has got incredibly positive things to say about single people. Um, Ironically, the culture that the Bible was written in was very anti-singleness. Very anti-singleness. There's a quote from, here's a quote from a rabbi, a guy called Rabbi Eliezer, in the first century, just at the time when Jesus was living. And this was the attitude of the Jewish people towards single people at the time. He said this, anyone who, is no, anyone who has no wife is not a proper man. So that's, that's, that's what they believed. From the Talmud, which was one of the Jewish writings, not in the Bible, but one of the Jewish writings of the ancient world, uh, it, it said, a man who is not married by at 20 is living in sin. Okay, so that's a pretty strong view of, a negative view of singleness. Now, into that, in the middle of that negative view of singleness, you have the Bible, which has, and it had a very countercultural view of singleness, and has a very countercultural view of singleness. There are great singles in the Bible. Some of the great heroes of the Bible, like Elijah, Elisha, Daniel, Jeremiah, 
John the Baptist. Now, he was single for many reasons because it was kind of the way he dressed, ate locusts, bad breath, all that. So he, he, there was various reasons why he was single. Timothy, who led, Timothy led the biggest mega church in the New Testament, the church at Ephesus, huge church. They estimated maybe 100,000 people in the church. Timothy was a single guy. Uh, in Acts 21, you see uh, Philip, he had seven, four daughters who were prophetesses, but they were, they were unmarried. So they were very much moving in ministry and used by God's unmarried people. So the Bible champions single people. You also have people who were single for a long time before getting married in the Bible. So, for example, uh, you have Isaac, who was 40 years old before getting married. Uh, Jacob was 80 before he got married. Get on, Jacob. Esau was 40. Moses was well over 40 when he got married. So you see, uh, it, it wasn't necessarily just always the common pattern where people got married young in the Bible. That's not how it was. And the New Testament celebrates singleness and celibacy. The two greatest influences, in fact, let's talk about the one, the most famous person on planet earth, the most important person, not just historically, but potentially and should be in your life, Jesus Christ, who currently stands, uh, who sits on the throne of the universe, is King of kings and Lord of lords. The greatest one who's ever lived was a single guy. He lived a single life. The two greatest influences on planet earth are single people, Jesus Christ and the Apostle Paul. Arguably, the two most influential people who have ever lived were single. And they didn't just, they weren't just single begrudgingly, they believed in their situation, and they also believed in marriage. They said a lot about singleness, and they modeled a lot about singleness. So I want to base what I'm sharing with you, basically seven tips from Jesus and Paul, the two greatest influences in the world on singleness. Tip number one, live devoted to God. That's not trite. That's not shallow. That's not, all right, predictable, Pete. Saw that one coming. No, no, that's helpful. That, that is, if, even if point number one is all the points I gave you, point number one is the most helpful point you will ever hear on earth. You don't hear that point out there. You got to hear that point in here. This point is the most important. This is your survival, folks. This is your survival. By the way, this is your survival if you're married or if you're single. This is hope for everyone. Live devoted to God. If you're not devoted to God, you are the creation ignoring your creator. Don't just live vaguely interested in God. Live devoted to God. This is what Paul says about singleness. He, he, Paul taught that singleness is better than marriage. Listen to what he says. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 8. I say to those who aren't married and to widows, it is better, say better. It is better to stay unmarried just as I am. So here's the apostle Paul saying, it'd be better for you to stay single. So listen, whether you're single or not, I want you to hear, you ask yourself the question, well, why on earth would Paul say that? What was it that Paul was meaning? What, what was Paul getting at? What was it that it was in Paul's mind that made singleness better than marriage? And I think Paul's trying to get the point, and I'll read the verses in a moment just to justify his point. But here's the point. The big point is this. There's something more important than a relationship with a person. There's something far more important than a relationship with another person. And that is a relationship with God. That's why Paul said it's better for singleness. And listen to what he goes on to say. Uh, 1 Corinthians 7, 32, he goes on and says, an unmarried man is, unconcerned, sorry, is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. 
But the married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. Any unmarried woman or a virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord, both in body and in spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. Am I saying, sorry, I am saying this for your own good. Say for your own good. Not to restrict you. In other words, you're not trying to be a killjoy. He's saying this for your own good. But that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. Paul, Paul's got it. Now, if you're just living for the temporary, if you're just living for the thrills, you won't get this point. But if you understand there's something more important than even an earthly relationship, that more important than everything else, the most important thing in life, whether you're married or single, is a relationship with God. What Paul is saying is this, that this relationship, you have that relationship, that is for your own good. Seriously, that's for your good. Now, if you were going to be closer to God by being married, then get yourself married. If you're going to be closer to God by staying single, well, Paul says, stay single. It's better. And that's what Paul's advice is, because this relationship's everything. Here's what the preacher Charles Spurgeon said about relationship with God. He said this, man is a fallen star till he is right with heaven. He is out of order with himself and all around him until he occupies his true place in relation to God. When he serves God, he has reached that point where he doth serve himself best and enjoys himself most. It is man's honor. It is man's joy. It is man's heaven to live unto God. You know, some people, when they're looking at Christianity, they complain it's too exclusive. You know, you know all this thing about Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. Oh, it's so, so, it's so narrow, Jesus. So narrow-minded, Lord Jesus. People complain it's too exclusive. Other people complain, oh, there's too much commitment involved. Following Jesus, you've got to give everything and follow Jesus. That's just too much commitment. When people say that, they fail to realize the nature of Christianity. They think Christianity is just another philosophy. It's not just another philosophy. It's a relationship. And when you understand that Christianity is a relationship, then you understand. That's why it's exclusive. That's why it requires commitment. Because all relationships are exclusive. And all relationships do require commitment. If it's a philosophy, I get it. It's too exclusive. And I get it. It's too much commitment. But if it's a relationship we're talking about here, then no problem with exclusivity because that's what relationships are all about. And no problem about high levels of commitment, especially because we're talking about God. Yay, we can give him everything. There's no problem God requiring of you, you giving everything to him because he's God's. And it kind of works both ways. The reality is God gave everything for you. I said a few weeks ago, I, I, I told you about Tim Cook, who had a charity auction. Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple uh, Corporation, he had a charity auction where he was auctioning the opportunity for people to buy one hour of his time and have a coffee with him. So people were bidding, and the winning bidder got an hour with Tim Cook, had a cup of coffee with Tim Cook. Okay? The bidding started at $5,000, went all the way up to $210,000, and a guy spent $210,000 to have a cup of coffee with Tim Cook, obviously a real Apple groupie, okay? But, but here's the point. You, 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 had to, you had to pay to get time with Tim Cook. But the reality is God, who's more important than Tim Cook, God paid the price so he could have a relationship with you. God at his own expense, with his own blood, Jesus Christ on a cross, 
died for you sinners, me sinners. He died for us, took the price, paid the price to take away our sins so that we could be in this everlasting relationship with God, our creator. So I get, I get that it's, it's big commitment following God and it's exclusive. Absolutely. And it should be because it's a relationship, but you need to understand that God paid a bigger price than you'll ever pay. He's given everything to have a relationship with you. So there is nothing, nothing on this earth more important than relationship with God. And hey, if you're not in that relationship today, cross a line in your heart. Say, yeah, come into that relationship with God. He's waiting for you. The ball is in your court. Now, you see, this is, this is so helpful from Paul because if you're secure in God, you'll be secure with people. And so actually, far from this being unhelpful advice, so even, even if you do go on to get married as a single person, actually, you're setting yourself up as best you can for a great marriage. Because if you're secure in God's, you'll be secure with people. If you get the interaction vertically good, you're going to get the interactions horizontally good. If you understand you're unconditionally loved, then you're going to be able to love people unconditionally. No strings attached. If you are a receiver of mercy and grace, then guess what your relationships with people are going to be doused in? Mercy and grace. If, you, if, you, if you're a recipient of forgiveness, guess how you're going to interact with people when they blow it? Forgiveness. And all these characteristics help towards strong relationships. Paul's advice is so, so helpful. If you know your identities in him, if you're solid and secure, not in yourself, but in God, I'm a child of God. I'm loved by God. You don't, you don't need, you, then you're no longer seeking to get your identity from a marital status or from a job title or from a degree or an educational status. All of a sudden you become untouchable. You become solid in life because God is your security. Now, so with that in mind, it's no wonder then Paul goes on to say, 2 Corinthians 6 verse 14, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. What do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or fe- what fellowship can light have with darkness? He's saying, listen, okay, it, it, you know, so if you're going to date someone, date someone who's got God in their lives as well. If you're a believer, date a believer. And he's not saying that just for the believer's sake. He's saying that also for the unbeliever's sake, because you're going in two different directions. It's not going to help either of you. So it's obvious. I mean, if God's the most important relationship, even more than human relationships, then it is totally a no-brainer why Paul would then go on to say, then why on earth would you date someone who doesn't have the most important one in their life, like you've got the most important one in your life. He uses the word yoke. And a yoke is an ag- agricultural term. It's, you know, when two oxen were yoked together, they would pull the plow together. It's like a bar that would go between their shoulders. And the key thing about being yoked, they need to be the same kind of animal and the same strength of animal. If you've got one oxen that's stronger than another or an oxen with a sheep, right, it's not going to work. The thing will just go in circles. So you've got, to have, you've, got to have, you've got to be with someone who's walking the same walk as you. They don't have to have lots of things in common. But you've got to have God in common, okay? So, and also you've got to have, it says, what fellowship can light have with darkness? The word fellowship is the Greek word koinonia. And the root meaning of it is this. You have fellowship based on something you share. That's it. You have something you share. And you've got to have the most important thing shared in common. Oh, but we like badminton. Oh, we, we love going to Barbados. Oh, we do. yeah, I know, but she's a witch. She's a Satanist. She, she worships the devil. Oh, just, but she likes badminton. No, dude, listen. 
You've got to have God in common, all right, mates? It's not enough that you've got the same hobbies, okay? I don't care if you have no hobbies the same or no other interests the same. If you don't have God, me and Angie have nothing else in common other than God. We are so different. But we're 20 years married and it's worked, all right? So I'm telling you, God is the most important one to have in common. And imagine building a house. Imagine you building a house with someone else and they've literally got a different set of plans to you. I mean, that's not going to work, right? It's not going to work. You, see, you try and build a life with someone. You try and figure out your finances with someone who's got a totally different fundamental approach to generosity or giving or stewardship. Try and raise your kids with someone who's fundamentally got a totally different worldview about God. It just doesn't work. So it's not just for the believer's sake, Paul says it. It's for both sake. So if God's most important in your life, then don't even consider dating someone who's not got God in their life. Now, here's the question I've got to ask you. I've got to ask you this. If the choice was between you remaining single or you going with someone who doesn't have God in the center of their life, being unequally yoked, but at least you have a relationship then, which one will you choose? That's the, that's the correct answer. Because the, the reality is, right, so you're in a situation where in a church environment, it's, that's the right answer. But just a couple of weeks ago, I met someone uh, who used to come to this church, goes to another church now, and is just in a relationship with a guy who doesn't love God. And I said, oh, I'm not sure that's the right thing for you to do. And I wasn't saying that because I wanted to be a killjoy, because there's nothing I would want for this person more than to have a great relationship. But the bottom line is this. You've got to answer that question. Would it be better to be single or to have a relationship with someone who wasn't following God? You've got to answer that question and then stick with your answer. Live a life of conviction. Secondly, live whole. As Solomon, he wasn't single. Solomon was the wisest person on planet earth. He was the wisest person on planet earth. He had 700 wives and 300 concubines, which also qualified him from the dumbest man on earth as well. Okay, so, so he was the wisest, but that's kind of dumb. Okay, so there was... Now, so Solomon wasn't exactly the expert in singleness, but here's something he said that is a total lifeline to singles. Listen to what he says. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 23. Under the three things, the earth quakes. And then he goes on and lists them. And here's one of them. Under an unloved woman when she gets a husband. In other words, it makes the whole earth shake. And by the way, it flips the other way as well. Under an unloved man when he gets a wife. If you're someone who's been unloved before you're in a relationship, that has devastating impact. See, the greatest temptation in singleness and people desiring a relationship is to assume that marriage will meet my needs, it will solve my weaknesses, it will organize my life, it will unleash my gifts and, reach, and release my potential. If you believe that, that's a dangerous place to be. If you believe that marriage is going to be the ultimate thing which will release your gifts, solve your problems, organize your lives. You know, if you read what Paul says, he actually said, no, marriage will give you problems, okay? He's saying it's better you don't get married, okay? So it's not going to solve your problems, folks. And actually, so my question is, do you believe that marriage will resolve your problems? Do you believe it will actually give you the satisfaction you're looking for? Do you believe that? If you believe that, it's verging on idolatry. 
Because actually, the, the level of satisfaction that you're longing for in life can only be found in God. So, be loved before you're in a relationship. Unloved before, if you're unloved before you go into a relationship, it can literally cripple the relationship. Because, and what you actually find is this, if you're in that place of neediness, you're needing that love, you're needing that person to satisfy something in you, then what happens is this, needy people attract needy people. And you see this all the time, hurt people attract hurt people, abused people attract abused people. And it doesn't heal you, it just perpetuates the voids, it perpetuates the weakness. And it's devastating and wrong and dangerous for your soul. See, if you're, if you're looking at this person as this person I'm going to date has got all the answers, they're going to give me a source of satisfaction and peace in life, then here's what's going to happen. You're going to suck them dry. They're not gods, and yet you're treating them like a gods, like they've got all the answers for you. You will suck them dry. You will suck them dry. Listen, mate, I know you can carry her over the threshold, but you can't carry her all your life, all right? She's got to learn to walk at some point. If you, so you can carry her for a short bit, or you can carry him for a short bit. You try and carry him or her all your life. No, no, they've got to have their own walk. They've got to be able to stand. They've got to know they're loved. They've got to be strong. Singleness is more important than marriage, just as a foundation is more important than the house itself. You see, your marriage is only as good as your singleness. Most divorced people are divorced because they weren't properly single before they got married. A strong marriage happens when you've got strong singles getting married. Josh McDowell said this. This is a famous Bible teacher. He said this. What you are as a single person, you will be as a married person only to a greater degree. So if you weren't already generous, it's not like I'm married. I'm suddenly generous. No. If you weren't already generous, you won't, you won't be generous suddenly. If you weren't already loving towards other people, you won't suddenly become a loving person. If you weren't already passionate about God, it's not like, oh man, I'm going to get really passionate about God now. It's not going to happen. If you were battling with lust before marriage, I know I'll, I'll get married. That will solve my lust problem. Dudes, it won't. Maybe for a short time, but then it will come to the surface again. And all of a sudden, it's not just going to affect you. It might affect your wife or your husband's and your kids, and society. So what you are as a single person, you will continue to be as a married person, only to a large, it's almost like a magnifying glass, it just magnifies everything. So you've got to, I mean, this is the illustration, you've maybe seen me use this before, you've got a glass here, and you've got two empty glasses, and you have these two empty glasses, and you pour them into that one glass called marriage. What do you have? A fuller empty glass. You have an empty glass. If you have two people who are satisfied in God, completely full of joy in God. They're living a life not needing another person, but just in love with God and strong in the Lord, clear in their identity. And you suddenly pour them into a marriage. Sorry, Sammy, I just ruined your church. Uh, so, <laughs> mind the hampers. So, um, so all of a sudden, you've got this full marriage, and a full marriage that's brimming over and, and just... <laughs> spilling over and bring a blessing to lots of people around you. <laughs> Happy Christmas. Just, just try and keep you awake, folks. Just try and keep you awake, okay? So, you remember the illustration now, okay? You have two empty people. That's why you're on the balcony, guys. I love it, okay? 
So you have two empty people pouring into a marriage. You're not going to get suddenly a full marriage. You will have an empty marriage. It'll just perpetuate the emptiness. You live a full life. And what I mean by a full life is actually you're totally cool with where you're at. Full in God. All of a sudden. And you do get married. You have a full marriage. The root of you being able to love is you being loved. It says in the Bible, 1 John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us. Your ability to love comes from you being a recipient of the love of God. And so you just live in that love, live loved. And when you live loved, all of a sudden it takes away the deep neediness in your soul. And all of a sudden you become a blessing wherever you go and whatever relationships you enter. Thirdly, live content. 1 Corinthians 7, 7. Paul, the single guy, said this. I wish everyone were single, just as I am. Yet each person has a special gift. Say special gift. Special gift from God of one kind or another. So he's talking about married people have a special gift, and he's talking about single people have a special gift. If you're a single person, that's your special gift. If you're a married person, that's your special gift. Each one is a special gift. It's not just that singleness is a gift. It's whatever season you find yourself currently in is God's gift to you. It's God's opportunity for you. It's God's best for you. And there are treasures to be found in this gift right now. There's a story in ancient Persia of a, a man by the name of Ali Hafed. He, owned a, he was very wealthy. He owned a huge farm, had lots of animals, lots of crops, lots of workers working for him. And then one day, a traveler from the east told him about the, the potential of diamond mines. He described the diamond mines in the east. And Ali Hafed, he, he heard this description of diamond mines. And the man from the east said, if you get a diamond mine, you can own many farms just like this. And Ali Hafed that night couldn't sleep. Because all of a sudden, a contented man became very discontented. And that night, he longed to have a diamond mind of his own. The next morning, spontaneously, he decided to sell up all his property and use his money to travel and find a diamond mine. He traveled. He traveled the world over and spent years in search for a diamond mine, and it was elusive. All he did was bankrupt himself, spend all his money, and he ended up alone and actually ended up committing suicide. The story goes that the person who bought his farm one day was watering his camels down by the stream. And there in the sun, something glinted in the stream and he reached down and found the diamonds in the stream. And that was the discovery of the famous diamond mines in India of Golconda, which is some of the world's most famous diamond mines, right there in Ali Hafed's farm. If he'd only just stayed where he was, and search for the treasure. It was already there. It's so easy to think the grass is greener on the other side. Folks, it's really not. It's really, really not. Right where you are is God's gift to you. 1 Corinthians seven seventeen in the message translation says this, do not be wishing you were someplace else with someone else. Where you are right now is God's place for you. Live and obey and love and believe right there. God, not your marital status, defines your life. Satan fell because of discontent. He wanted God's position. Eve fell 
because she thought God was holding back from her somehow and she wanted something different. Discontent will scupper your life. It's not your friend's. Receive your situation right now as God's special gift to you. Rather than wasting your years for what might be, embrace what is as a gift. Most singles are running from a life of singleness. Today I'm saying run to it. It's there, you need to start running to it. There's treasure there. Have you thanked God, singles? Have you thanked God? for this gift he's given you right now. I'm not saying that singleness is your long-term gift. For some people, it is their long-term gift. But but whether it's your long-term gift or not, it's your gift right now. Are you thanking God right now for your situation in life? That God, thank you right now. I'm single. I want to live to the full in this moment before God. Or is life on hold? Number four, live in relationship. So both Paul and Jesus always surrounded themselves with people. Paul never traveled or ministered or did anything unless he was with his team. Jesus deliberately gathered around him 12 disciples. Paul and Jesus were both single, but they made sure they were always in community. They created community around them. If you're single, if you either join a community or create a community, be part of a small group in the church or start a small group in the church, but don't be isolated. At creation, God said over mankind whom he'd created, God created in his own image. Now, God is Trinity. God is a community within himself. He's perfectly satisfied within himself. He's already in relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and eternally has been. And he created us in his image, and he said to us, it is not good for man to be alone. The reason God said that was that he didn't create us just to need him. Did you know that? God created us to need others. So it's not wrong for us to need other people. Now, so it's nothing wrong with being single. Nothing wrong with that at all. But there's something hugely wrong with being alone. You were never created to be alone. You were created in the image of a relational God. You need others. Now, some singles don't have the idol of marriage. Oh, I want marriage. I want marriage. Some singles have gone to the other extreme. Their idol is self-sufficiency. Their idol is isolation and independence. And that's as as dangerous an idol as marriage could be. It says in Proverbs 18 verse 1, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. So it's the kind of, oh, I can live as I want. I can spend the money away I want. I can, my time is my own. I I don't have to, I'm not accountable to anyone. And actually it could verge on selfishness. And this idol of self or independence or singleness could become your downfall. So be in community. Fifthly, live selflessly. Here's what Paul commented about widows who were single. This is what it says. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 5 and verse 10. The widow who is really in need and left all alone puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and ask God for help. This is this, remember number one, live devoted to God. This is what this widow is doing. It is, and it is it was well known for her good deeds, such as bringing up children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the Lord's people, helping those who are in trouble, devoting herself to all kinds of good deeds. 
So here's a glimpse into Paul's view of that's awesome singleness. First of all, totally devoted to God. Secondly, dedicated to living selflessly. That's powerful. That's what Paul says. That's, that's real. That's amazing. That's powerful singleness right there. So singles, I just want to encourage you. Make, this is one of the ways you can make the most of your opportunity. You can say yes to the spontaneous in a way that married people can. You are able to say yes to the spontaneous. Fact is that marriage restricts spontaneity. Stops you just making your own decisions and being spontaneous. You know, one of the greatest spiritual gifts single people is your ability to say yes. Yes to the random phone conversation. Yes to the coffee. Yes to helping the person move. Yes to making the meal for someone. Yes to stepping in when someone's sick. Yes to bless others. Second thing is, do radical, time-consuming things for God. This is an amazing opportunity you have to do radical, time-consuming things for God. Use your singleness to dream bigger and even more costly dreams. Start things. Don't wait for your situation to change before you start things and live the dream. Start a small group. Start making disciples. Launch a team. Plant a location. I'm totally up for people planting church locations who are not married. Planting churches. Some of the greatest ministries in our world are single people. You know, we've had Bill Wilson recently. Bill Wilson's a single guy. He's in his 70s, but he leads the largest Sunday school in the world in, with, with, with over 200,000 kids in several locations around the world every Sunday. The guy's radical. He, and he's, he's used his singleness as his opportunity to dream a bigger dream. I don't think he could have done what he's done if he was married. You've got people like Mother Teresa. She, what she did is incredible. She used her singleness as an opportunity to serve some of the most vulnerable. John Stott, one of the most famous preachers from All Souls in London, single guy. Mary Slessor, some of you from Nigeria know the name. She made a huge impact as a single lady in a foreign land, serving her socks off for God. When we launched Destiny Angels in our church, you know, the, the hamper appeal and all that, Jude's. Launched, launched that way before she was married. She launched that as a single girl in the church and has just done an amazing job and then handed that over to a great ministry to, to Liz and Natalie who are currently single and just, who are excellent people, by the way, folks. Excellent people. And they are just serving their socks off. Single people carrying a ministry to some of the most vulnerable people in our city. I love it. You're using your season as your opportunity to dream bigger dreams. Jesus said this about himself. John 4, 34. And actually, ironically, he said this after having a conversation with a woman at the well. And this woman at the well, actually, she was longing for relationships to satisfy her deepest longing. And in contrast, Jesus said this, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. In other words, you can experience genuine satisfaction in life from doing the will of God. Getting your sleeves rolled up and doing the will of God. Sixthly, live full. See, Jesus, the single guy, he lived a full life. And I don't just mean spiritually full, I mean just full. He loved parties. He really liked eating food. You can tell that. He cooked foods. He was a great cook. He cooked breakfast on the beach. Jesus loved socializing, going to weddings. He had no problem as a single guy going to weddings. He loved it. He went to parties. He ate. He enjoyed working. He probably, I bet he was the best guy to work with. Funniest, great laugh. 
no curse words. He would have just, you know, he would have just been the blessing to work with. He would have been the best employer, I'm telling you. He would have had employees, definitely. And he would have made a lot of money and done really well. Jesus was just an awesome guy. He lived a full life. He loved meeting people. You just see that. He loved traveling. Jesus was awesome. And Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Having a full life means you as a person with a spirit, soul, and a body, in every area you have a full life. Spiritually, you're alive. Soulishly, you're connected with God. Physically, you have a life. You're enjoying life. Live life to the full. Don't let life be on hold. Don't just wait for another season. Live life to the full right now. Find interest. Find your interest. Discover yourself. Discover your gifts. Read some books. Travel, see some places. Meet some different people. Have some great experiences. Live to the max. Serve your socks off. Live great. Live an adventure. People with interests are interesting. You know, so if dating comes along, all of a sudden you've got something to talk about rather than how's your food? Or, you know, or something like that, right? But you've got something to talk about because you're not just someone with interest, you are interesting. The best way to get a love life is to get a life. Live a full life. Be the kind of person that the kind of person you want to get wants to be with. Be, be, be the kind of person that the person that you're dreaming of being with would want to be with. Live, it li- live that life now. And not on the condition that you get that person. Just live that life now as your gift. Whether your situation changes or not, live that life now. And then if you do date, point number seven, date really well. Matthew chapter 19, verses 11 to 12. Only those who have been given the gift, uh, who have given the gift of staying single can accept this teaching. Some stay single for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Anyone who can accept this teaching should do so. So how do you know if God wants you to be married or if God wants you to be single all your days? And I believe that what Jesus is saying here is that it's possible to come to a place of deep acceptance of singleness. And that would be an indicator of the call of God on your life and on your future. Not, and what can happen is society can put pressures on you. No, you've got to be married. Or you can put pressures on yourself. I've got to be married. You don't. You can actually come to the place where genuinely before God, you can have a deep contentment about being single, just like Jesus and like Paul and like many of the other great heroes in the Bible and alive today. But equally, if there's a deep sense of, actually, I think there's a husband in here or there's a wife in here or there's a, there's a mum or a dad in here. That, that, that I've, got, I've got this love to give. I've got this gift to share. Then that sense of, no, there's something more is most likely an indicator of the call of God in your life. Statistically, most of you will get married. And if you can trust them for your eternal life, you've got to be able to trust them for your love life. If you don't trust them for your love life, you'll take matters into your own hands. And that's, that's dangerous if you're trying to save yourself. And it's also dangerous if you try and make relationships happen for yourself. Now, in Edinburgh, here's the pattern. The pattern in Edinburgh is this. You hook up, you shack up, then you break up, repeat. Hook up, shack up, break up, repeat. That's Edinburgh. Just doesn't work. You know, Valentine's Day is the day that's marked in, on, in February every year, February 14th. And it's marked to mark the day, actually, that a guy called Valentine's, a pastor in the early church, was martyred. 
And every year at Valentine's Day, we remember Valentine's, this guy who was martyred. And it, actually, he, he didn't stand for kind of flirtatious, romantic-y, kind of shallow love. He stood for marriage. That's what he was all about. It was at a time when uh, the emperor at the time, em- Emperor Claudius, passed a law saying that no one could get married. <laughs> it was a pretty serious law. And the reason was very simple. Men would not volunteer to join his army if they had wives or girlfriends to leave behind. So he wanted to mobilize the men into the military. So he banned marriage for a season of time. Anyway, Valentine, this pastor, clearly believing that marriage was a gift from God and God's calling for some people, he continued to marry people, but in secret. And when they did their marriage ceremonies, they would keep the voices really quiet and low, and they would have someone watching out for the soldiers coming in case of arrest. Anyway, on one particular occasion, the soldiers did come. And the couple he was marrying managed to escape, but he was arrested. He was put in prison, and he was awaiting execution for going against the will of the emperor. And during his time in prison, he became great friends with the daughter of the jailer. She would come and visit him and spend hours with him most days, and they would have great conversations. And she agreed with him that actually marriage should be allowed. It is God's will. And on the day he died, February 14th, 269 AD, he left her a note thanking her for her loyalty and friendship, and he ended it and signed it with, love from your Valentine. And so that, that was where the custom, the pattern emerged from this guy who stood for this kind of old school idea of marriage. So listen, romance, flirty feelings, kind of the butterflies, the flirtatious moments, those kind of early stages of dating. You know what? Those feelings will come and go. And actually, we're living in a society where the movies just constantly celebrate beginnings, constantly celebrate the beginnings, that hot date, that falling in love, that first night. It just celebrates beginning. You don't see the movies that celebrate just the long term, just the awesome, growing old together, uh, a little bit, guys a little bit grumpy, you know, and they, but they still hold hands. And, you know, they don't, that is, it's like Sammy and Hale. They, they, they just, they just, the movies don't celebrate. The movies don't celebrate that. But the reality is, that's awesome. Hey, Arian Morag, that's awesome. A little bit grumpy, but just hanging in there. <laughs> just kidding. I'm not talking about you, Morag, okay? But that's, this is awesome. This is awesome. How many years have you guys been married? 56. He's lucky he remembered that, Morag, right? 56 years married. Now, that's awesome. That's where the movies should be shown. Because that's actually where it's all about. God is an ideal, and it's not just the, the, that kind of shallow thing that Edinburgh purports. It's something deeper. So here's God's way versus the world's way. The world says that in dating, the goal isn't marriage. You know, just want to have some fun. That's what dating's all about. However, when it comes to God's way, God's way is this. If you're going to date, then the goal is marriage. In fact, dating doesn't appear in the Bible. You don't find the word dating in the Bible. What you find is courtship towards marriage. The world's way is intimacy precedes commitment. But God's way is commitment precedes intimacy. You know, the world's way, intimacy precedes commitment. Intimacy precedes commitment. It's just like, kind of like try before you buy. How do you know if you're going to be sexually compatible unless you try it out? You're so shallow, mate. 
or I'm, I'm assuming it's the guy because it usually is, or girls, but that's so shallow. And it's actually wrong because here's what will happen is you get married, you'll change, they'll change. So even if you were sexually compatible in the early stages, after you have kids or after a few challenges in life, you will change. Your body will change several times over the next several, several years. So even if you were compatible year one, you won't be compatible year three. So it's a total myth. Don't live that way. They're not a product to be tested before you buy it. They're a human being. And you can make sex awesome, whatever the situation. Um, the world's way is that it's private. It's unaccountable dating. But actually, God's way, and you read right through the Bible, is it's accountable. And you involve family, parents. You involve good friends. You involve the church. You know, if, if you're going out with someone and you're close friends, not the ones who just tell you what you want to hear, but the ones who've got great values, truly godly value friends, and they're saying, I've got a concern. You need to listen. If, if you, before you go get married to someone, just check it out with one of the church leaders. And not, not so that we can control your life. Far from it. We want the best for you. But because we want the best for you, we'll be honest with you. If they're nuts, we'll tell you. I just don't want you to be happy for a little bit and then get pain in the long term. We've had too many of those situations in the last 20 years. So is it okay to have a list when you're dating? Like a kind of checklist? This is what I'm looking for in this perfect person? Like the kind of, yeah, absolutely. You can have a list. But be realistic. You know, there's, if you're looking for Mr. Right or Mrs. Right, they just don't exist. Mr. Almost Right, Mrs. Almost Right, they're there. But Mr. Right, Mrs. Right, they're not there. That ideal doesn't exist. It's in your dreams. And this person might not come perfectly packaged, but they'll come with potential. Don't look at where they're at. Look at where they're going. Look at their values. Look at how they treat people who can do anything for them. Not just when you're watching. These are the things. What if you like a non-Christian? Someone who's not following Jesus. Okay, that's cool. But don't cross a line. Don't commit yourself to someone. Pray for them. Invite them to carols by candlelight. Tell them to repent for their sins. Watch out for them faking a conversion just to get you. You laugh, but it's happened. I'm telling you, it's happened. We've had at least, oh, I've had several couples in the church who are now divorced because their partner faked a conversion just to get them. Folks, I get that you want a relationship, but you've got to think longer term than the next few years of happiness. You've got to have the same foundation for their sake and for your sake. And guys, let me just say, please take some initiative. Say amen, ladies. Just take some initiative. You know, if you like a girl, oh, but Pete, she might say no and it'd hurt my feelings. <laughs> Dude, come on. Seriously? You know, just, just slap the guy next to you just in case it's him. Go and slap him. So just say, that's not acceptable. <laughs> okay. You, you know, I get, I get that she might say no, but she might say yes. She might say yes. You know, don't, don't, don't just... Be a little bit more confident, folks. And, uh, and, and girls, be a little bit more available rather than be, just playing a card so close to your chest and, and not letting anyone near you. Just be a little bit more available. And I'm going to end my talk there. Thanks for listening. Let's pray.
Father, thank you so much that, that you give us this great example in your son, Lord Jesus. Jesus, thank you that when you came into this world, you came as a single man. Single man, because specifically because of your mission, but also to give us an example. To give us an example for all the single people who will either continue to be single all their days or who will be single for a, a chunk of their life. Thank you, Jesus, for being a great example of courage, faith, love, devotion to the Father's will. I pray, God, that for the singles in this church, God, that we will, in Jesus' name, the singles in this church will live full lives, abundant lives, not just, not just for the sake of getting through the season, but actually because this is the gift to them right now, and they would live to the full in this season. I pray that. I pray for people, God, who have a genuine ache in their heart, longing to be married, and a deep, deep disappointment or questions about, well, God, why? I pray, God, for them to know the peace of God right now. I pray, God, heal that wound. I pray it wouldn't become um, something that keeps them awake at night and they become an obsession in their life, Lord. Heal them, Father, I pray. God, we thank you that you have good things for us. And we can say to you very simply today, Lord God, that we trust you. We trust you for our lives. We trust you for our eternal life. And we trust you for our life in this life. Just under your breath, just, just tell God you trust him. Just tell him you trust him. Okay, just each one of you take a moment to pray back your response to what we've heard today. And while people are praying, if you're here today and you don't yet know God, if you're not in relationship with God, as I said, first point, this relationship with God is more important than any relationship you can have on earth. Do you know God? Well, God wants to be in relationship with you. If that's you today, saying, Peter, I want God in my life, then just quietly under your breath, repeat this prayer to God. Repeat it after me, just one line at a time. Say, dear Lord God, Thank you for your love for me. Jesus, thank you that in your love for me, you died on the cross and rose again. Today, I put my faith in you. I give my life to you. I trust in you. Forgive my sins and be my savior. I believe you're alive, Lord Jesus be Lord of my life from now on. Thank you for hearing my prayer and accepting me as your child. Just while everyone else is praying, can you just let me know if you prayed that prayer? If you prayed that prayer, I want to pray blessing on you. Wherever you are in this auditorium, if you prayed that prayer, just can you just simply raise your hands and then put it down again. Thanks, mate. Thank you. Anyone else? For praise or anyone else. I think I saw two, possibly three. Those people, can you put your hand up again so I see where you are when I'm praying? Thank you. That's great. Lord, I thank you so much for these two guys. Thank you today in your presence. They're saying, You are more important than anyone else. A relationship with you is so important. And I pray, God, right now that they would know God coming really close to them. I thank you that they've trusted you today, Jesus. And I thank you, you accept them and love them. 
Let, us, let this be a strong start to a strong future with God. Thank you, you're for them. And thank you today, they're saved, forgiven, and they're God's. In Jesus' name, amen.